0: Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian goes under center this time. Mills, the deep back. Turn and toss it to Mills off the left side. He's to the 10. Step arms a man. Five. Dives. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Diedrich Mills finds the end zone from 14 yards out. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts. Greg Sharp, and Ben McLaughlin. Welcome to another day of speculation, innuendo, rumors. It had it all again today. We'll try to make some sense of it for you here tonight. Thank you so much for being a part of Sports Island here on a Tuesday night. Austin had it in the ticker that the president had a conference call today with Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Uh, And tweeted after the conversation, had a very productive conversation with Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, about immediately starting up Big Ten football. It would be good, great for everyone, players, fans, country, on the one-yard line. Well, that certainly got everybody all fired up and ready. And then our own Teddy Greenstein followed up, oh, maybe 30 minutes after that tweet went out. So much for Big Ten season options of Thanksgiving, January slash February, spring. Just spoke to one coach who said, "We're trying to play as soon as possible. Let's go." Well, that was late morning. Uh, since then, a lot of the national writers have poo-pooed this, called the 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 talk of an early start laughable. We even heard the date of October the 10th thrown out there. I think the Dan Patrick show threw that out there this afternoon. That's what they were hearing. And they've kind of been all over this story a little bit, the Dan Patrick show. They were the ones that thought that the vote was 12 to 2, when if you believe what the uh, the brief said yesterday, it was 11 to 3. But you've had Pete Thamel, who said that it's laughable that this talk, that even the Thanksgiving talk is probably not accurate. Apparently, to people that were privy to parts of the call, one of the things that came up, Ben, was, the rapid testing, which is, the, is one, of the, one of the things the Big Ten says, if they could get that, that would certainly help expedite this thing and maybe allow it to get going. And according to some people, the, the president said, we can help you do that. We're getting those made and prepared right now. I did see this tweet this afternoon that the University of Illinois, which I think that's a Big Ten school, has already developed and deployed – A rapid COVID test in the first week of classes. This is at the University of Illinois. One of the proud 14 members of the Big Ten Conference, by the way. They administered nearly 50,000 tests on their campus using this rapid testing. And they had a .75 positivity rate. So if one of your member institutions is already producing this, and there are several pharmaceutical companies that say by the end of September, which we're now in September, they're going to have millions of these things ready to go I would think that would be a hurdle to overcome, but multiple national people, um, and even Dennis Dodd has a piece up right now from CBS Sports saying that that's overly optimistic, and he cited the lack of rapid testing as why they can't do this. And yet, the University of Illinois has got the rapid testing ready; and they've already used it on their campus. I, I just I get so confused sometimes, Ben, and and I know part of my confusion is. Some of this stuff keeps coming up, and then yet the national media swats it back down like it's there's nothing to this. Well, Friday we had the Milwaukee Sentinel saying they're talking about Thanksgiving. It gets swatted down. You got this from the president today. It's getting swatted down. There's got to be a little bit of something to this, or this stuff wouldn't keep popping up every other day.
1: I mean, this is making my head hurt. I mean, I, I am just so truly tired of this back and forth rope pulling from side to side and Yeah, it's just I don't know what to ever believe, Greg, because it's, you know, we seem to have kind of a a fact-based principle uh, or agreement, thought process, understanding on what the season could potentially look like. And then, as you said, it's hard to get a straight narrative based on the agenda of whoever is writing for whatever publication that you read. It's just hard to get a straight answer from anybody because – uh, we all know who's kind of the ringleaders are on this story that are advocating for this not to happen, right? Pete Thamel being one of them, uh, Dan Walken, Pat Forty, the, Nicole Auerbach. I mean, they're kind of they've kind of a, drawn the line in the sand of where they're at on the Big Ten starting in the fall. I think part of it is what they think is right. I think part of it is political, where they stand on this politically. I think part of it is they want to be right they don't want to be proven wrong because they've you know as I've said they've dug the drawn the line in the sand and they don't want to be proven wrong I think there are there so those, so those three factors I think are probably a couple more contributing factors to why they are not changing their narrative that being the national media regardless of of anything at this point really because we've seen Greg we've seen parents protest We've seen Nebraska student-athletes raise a lawsuit. We've seen the president of the United States get involved. We've seen and heard countless head coaches, athletic directors, and players speak out on the issue. I mean, I don't know, I don't know from, from what other angle <laughs> something could be said about it and, and having, having it shot down basically immediately – uh, you mentioned that Dennis Dodd story and they, they, they were poking fun at the president laughing about, you know, his one yard, one yard line statement. Dennis Dodd making the the sarcastic comment of, oh, well, they got ninety nine yards to go, you know, implying that they're on the other they're on the other goal line when, you know, maybe we had thought that, you know, we're about to score whatever in the metaphor. Look, it's just it's it's tiresome. It, it's wearing on me. It, 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 I know it's wearing on our fans. I just want some finality. I want to know one way or the other, and I want to know truths behind, you know, what's being said. And Greg, at this point, we we're looking for information for from for so long from from different areas. I feel like, you know, we're starting to get more of that. You mentioned what's happening on the the campus of University of Illinois. That in itself would have been. You know, big enough information two weeks ago to drive an entire show. But then you think about, you know, Purdue's president came out with a statement today. The Big Ten um, put out, you know, a statement in regard to the president meeting today. You had Nebraska's lawyers put something out today. I mean, we're just getting so many things that are dumping oil and and gasoline on this fire that it's, it's hard to know where anything even is. You know, and then you start getting dates thrown around, right? First it was Thanksgiving, and now it's it's October tenth, and it's 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 a nightmare. This has turned into an absolute nightmare, and now the president of the United States is involved. and And the worst part about it, Greg, and college football is is a place where we can all go. And part of the reason why I love doing this show and love being, you know, here at, at our job is I don't ever have to talk politics on this show. I don't have to share my beliefs in that area with other people and have them judge me based on what I think. That's, that's one of the, the, the things that, that I li- like about this show. If you want to judge me on my takes of offensive schemes and you know, why I think this pitcher should be used less, what, that, that's fine. Like I, that's cool. But when politics start getting involved, that, that's when it starts to get really uncomfortable and you start isolating people and they start to form opinions on you as a person just based on what you believe and you kind of felt like college football and politics were always going to be separate. They're always going to be apart, they're never going to integrate. Now they've officially bled over, if they haven't already. The lines have been have been blurred and now politics are full-fledged involved in college football. Every article I've read today based on the on the on the president's conversation with Kevin Warren has to do with the, the, the voting states of Wisconsin and, and Ohio and, and Iowa and Illinois and Nebraska, Wisconsin, I've, I don't know if I said them already, but that's getting drug into the fact that we we want to play college football. And that, that just – it makes me sick that that's kind of where we're at, that people's articles, their voices, their their tweets, everything that they're putting out is going to be politics-driven now. And I just – it seems so slimy to me that that's where we're at. and it just, I, I, just, I just need – bottom line, I just need some finality. Like, <laughs> that, that's where I'm at. I just need to know one way or the other. Ben, I talked
0: today to one of my sources who lives in a state that's main institution voted no on whether to play, and I said, what's, what's the feeling like? And his comment was getting very nervous because we're getting closer and closer to September the 12th, and they cannot believe – that the ACC and the Big 12 are now, what is it, 11 days away from kicking off football. And they're sitting there going, well, this isn't how we thought this was going to go. We thought we would cancel and everybody else would be done. And today, the SEC and the Big 12 dropped a lot of their TV schedules out on the public today. And how about November 7th? You want November 7th for a day to keep an eye on? How about in the afternoon you can see uh, Georgia play Florida, and at night you can see Notre Dame play Clemson. Pretty good day. Pretty good day. I'm going uh, to look forward to that day. And then on, September, on November the 14th in the, afterno- in the afternoon you're going to have the Masters on TV followed at night by LSU Alabama. I mean, and these conferences are dropping these TV dates and times and all that today, and these states who voted no are going, huh. This isn't how we saw this thing come playing out. And they're getting very, very nervous. And that's why I think you're still seeing these embers pop up is because they can't quelch it and they can't argue that it's not safe if everybody else is playing right now. And it's still and here's the one thing that you don't see the national people putting this out there. There are still more FBS schools prepared to play than not. And the narrative isn't that at all. It's like, oh, you just have these three. Nope, you got the AAC, you got the Sun Belt, you got Conference USA, and the three powers. It's 76 that are playing, and it's about 60 that aren't. And so all of a sudden you're going, man, we're getting closer and closer to kickoffs. Now I'm seeing TV times put out by the Big 12 today. The SEC put out their CBS schedule today. And here's the Big 10 going, yep, yeah, we don't think it's safe to play. And then you got one of the schools in Illinois going, well, we got rapid testing. We're doing it on campus. We're doing it to our 50,000 students already. Where are you guys at with this whole thing? It's crazy. One more thing, and if you want to sound off on this, our numbers are 531 500 4686. That's our phone number. Also, our text on if you want to share that as well. Our old buddy, Pat Forty, Ben from Sports Illustrated, who made the John Deere reference to Nebraska fans a couple of weeks ago, his latest. Article that's now on si.com. "Quote: The three dissenting votes were cast by Ohio State, Nebraska, and Iowa. Sources told si those have been the whiniest locals since that August 11th vote was taken, and two of them, Nebraska and Iowa, opportunistically fast-tracked decisions to eliminate sports and/or furlough workers shortly thereafter. All the better to shift the blame toward the conference office." How about that yeah I mean
1: gotta be careful about what I say about this guy because you know there are people that that have our employment um you know in their hands but I mean I've already had no respect for the guy as of as of a couple of weeks ago I had very little before that it was gone and now I mean it's clear he has a clear vengeance and clear vendetta um, out for these schools, and and wants to make an example out of them. And and honestly, he's coming across as just a pretty big doink, if you ask me. I mean, I think his his responses on Twitter, his uh, the feedback that he puts out, and I I don't know that this guy has very much respect left amongst the readers, and. You know he's. This is another guy, Greg. That's already got his narrative written, and he's just gonna he's gonna ride with it until until it's all over, until he can watch his Mizzou Tigers play on, on Saturday <laughs> coming up. But yeah, it's it's clear where he's at. It's clear where his vision is, and and where he's uh where he's going with it. But it, I mean, he even even took the opportunity to call out the the great Ohio State Buckeyes, and that that tells me he's ready to die on this
0: hill. Yeah. And by the way, Pat will need to update that list because Michigan did announce layoffs today. By the way, so did Texas in the Big 12, and they're still playing football. And so did Texas Tech yesterday, and, yeah, they're still playing football. But let's single out Nebraska and Iowa as programs that took advantage of the cancellation of the fall sports to whack employees in sports. Let's single them. them out. Yeah, by gosh, I'll show them that the power of the pen is so mighty. We're going to talk Michigan an hour or two. Our friend Angelique Schengelis from the Detroit News will join us. We'll hear what's been happening there. What about these layoffs at the University of Michigan? What about that that organization which doesn't have everybody in line like Nebraska does? They've obviously got a football coach who wants to play, uh, but other people within the hierarchy at the University of Michigan that don't, their, their chancellor slash president voted no. Uh, when the vote came down a couple weeks ago. So we'll talk to Angelique a little bit later on in hour number 2 of We'll beyond the headlines, our Top Ten Tuesday coming your way in hour three. And Chris Bassett of the Lincoln Journal-Star is going to join us here in just a couple of minutes. Let's sneak in a call before we head to a break. Let's go to Omaha. Jonathan, you'll lead us off here tonight.
2: Hey, guys. Hey, so I was listening to ESPN Radio last week, and uh, I don't know who the guy was, but basically – his whole point of this of the Big Ten was like the Big Ten thinks they're pretentious. They think they're kind of better than everyone, you know, as far as athletics and academics especially. He went on to basically how Michigan thinks they're a top tier university, yada yada, and how like after they would cancel, they thought everyone else would cancel too, but obviously that didn't happen. And now the Big Ten's looking like fools. And I was just wondering, you guys, take if you guys think what he said was correct or uh, if you had any inkling on uh, piggybacking off that. Thank you.
1: Yeah, appreciate the call. Thanks a lot, man. Um, yeah, look, I think I think at this point, uh, yeah, you just have to ask yourself wh- where where the source is and where they've where they've come down on this situation, Greg. Because I feel like everybody around the league, and he mentioned ESPN Radio. Pick whatever publication you want: The Athletic, um, I mean Husker Sports Network, Buckeye Radio Network. Whatever, I mean, I feel like you can tell the agenda or or the thoughts and the and the principles, whatever word you want to use, from about every entity involved in the big t- at this point, it's pretty clear where everybody stands. Now, there are a couple of schools that we haven't heard anything from, and you can cross cross a couple of those off today, Purdue. You know that we haven't heard anything from Purdue. We heard from their president today, and he didn't want to take any of the blame. He kind of, <laughs> you know, he kind of said he was one of the schools that voted no, and he was like, "Yeah, well, you know, it was a consensus, it was a collective effort, and you know, I w- really want Purdue football on the field as soon as possible." But you know, the, <laughs> it's like he didn't want to take any responsibility, even though he was a part of the part of the no <laughs> no crowd. I just, to me, Greg, I could it just depending on what you hear and where you hear hear it, you you can. Pinpoint why exactly you hearing what you are. I, I don't know if that answers his question or not.
0: Well, I, I'll say this. And, Jonathan, I, I think that conferences have reputations. Just like schools have reputations, programs have reputations, the Big Ten has always had a reputation of being a holier-than-thou conference. I, I think that's fair. I think that's when we were in the Big 12, that was kind of the way you look back at the Big Ten. You're like, yeah, they think they're pretty hot stuff, but they never seem to kind of – Play it out that way in the end. And so I think there is a bit of an arrogance to the Big Ten. And I think there has been through the last two months. I think the feeling was we're going to cancel and everybody's going to follow our lead because we're the Big Ten. And now that other people didn't follow their lead, other than the Pac 12, which has kind of been a little brother to the Big Ten uh, for the last century. So I think, yeah, I think what you heard on ESPN Radio, that is kind of a perception, and perception in a lot of ways is reality around the country that the Big Ten has a little holier-than-thou stands about what they do and what they think. And I think that's going to let them dig in here and not want to concede that they maybe jumped the gun and maybe they made a mistake, and that's why... I think it is a pipe dream to think that we're playing football in this league in October. I still think it's a long shot that we play in November. I think probably the best we can hope for is January. Hope I'm wrong, but again, I think I get a sense of digging in, and I'll tell you what, I got that sense this afternoon when I started reading Pete Dammel and some of those guys who have their ties into some schools that I think have said, nope, nope, we're not going back on it now, we're going to die on this hill that we bailed on this season. Delighted to be joined now by Chris Bazin of the Lincoln Journal-Star, who normally this time of year would probably be putting the golf clubs away, but now with no college football, Chris, I mean,
2: hey, that might be the bonus, right? You're going to play a lot of fall golf. I have no excuse for not being the best fall golfer in the state now, Greg, that's for sure. (laughs) Well,
0: normally this time of year, you'd probably be putting together your opponent preview piece for Husker football. I think you've handled that duty the last couple of years. I guess that's off the table for a while,
2: isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's uh, stuff to do an opponent preview when there aren't any opponents to preview. So, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll make do with what we got and, and go from there.
3: How
0: How difficult has it been for you guys with all these different rumors that keep popping up? It seems like almost on a daily basis. I mean, that just has to add a ton to your guys' workload.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, it's, it's, it can be, you know, frustrating and exhausting and stressful and all those things. Now we, we don't have it nearly as bad as a lot of people out there do. That's for sure. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining or anything like that, but yeah, it's, you know, even just, you know, by the day, much less by the week, we, we can sit here and look at what happened, you know, almost by the hour, just today, all, all the mm-hmm. different things that, that came up and yeah, this happened and then something else that refutes that comes up. And then the third thing that refutes the first two things pops up too. You know, it, it, it can be confusing and, and it can be stressful and, and all those things. And, and it's like anybody else in, in this business. You just try to, you know, you kind of keep up as best as you can and hope at the end of the day that, that, that you figured out what exactly was going on and, and did a good job explaining it.
0: Chris, one of my favorite Sundays of the year is when when the Journal Star puts out their football tab. Are, are you going to do that this year? Or what, what What's the plan?
2: Yeah, we're planning to do a football tab this year. Uh, it'll be coming out here in a, in a few weeks. Uh, we're, we're working on some of the stuff for that right now. It'll be more be more focused on fans this year um, because, look, the fans have, have suffered as much as anybody else through all this, and we want to give them their, their time to shine. So it'll be less focused, obviously, on the team uh, with, no, with no team to preview, like we said, with no season to preview or opponents to scout or anything like that. So, yeah, we, we want to give the fans the, their moment in the sun and, and feature a few folks and kind of get their thoughts and their memories, you know, of, of their favorite Husker teams. And, yeah, that'll be out in a few weeks. I think it'll be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, great! Good. I'll look forward to that, and I know all of our audience audience will as well. Did I spy you at a high school football game last week? What was that all about? <laughs> yeah, you did.
2: I'm back on the high school football beat now. I was over at uh, Elkhorn and and Norris last oh, week checking out. Good one. Um, Yeah, I saw some good athletes. Obviously, uh, Drew Christo, the Nebraska baseball recruit, was a, who's a tight end for Elkhorn. Uh, C.J. Hood, uh, another baseball Nebraska baseball recruit, who's a who's a really nice player for Norris, and Norris has a has a bunch of high-level athletes on their team. James Carney, the tight end. They've got four kids that are six foot five that can go out and catch passes, which which you don't see on a lot of college teams. So yeah, it was it was a fun game to to get back into it for the first time in a while.
0: Yeah, that was a heck of a football game. Norris has a really good team this year, and I think you know that's one of the things. And you you cover Husker baseball. I think some people. Lose track that a lot of those kids that play collegiately baseball were pretty good athletes in other sports in high school. And you saw a couple of the really good ones. I don't know if is going to end up coming to Nebraska, Chris. I think he may be a high, high draft pick by the major leagues. I'm, I'm not That may be a real get if Will Bowl gets him to bypass
2: that and come to college. Yeah, he's, he's legit, and he, he, he's a big kid when he's in a baseball uniform. But when he puts on, you know, shoulder pads and a helmet and all that stuff, you just go, holy cow, this yeah. kid's a monster. And then he's standing up there on the mound throwing it 94 <laughs> down at you. So, yeah, no, he, he's he's legit, and, and you're right. He's got a chance to, to be a really, really special player, and, it's you know, I think – like you said, it was it was a pretty big coup for Will Bolt and his staff to to get him to commit. Now if they can get him on campus, then man, that's a really big victory for you.
0: Yeah, it's one of those maddening things about college baseball. You put so much effort into a kid, recruit him, get him to commit, get him to sign, and then they don't come because of the major league part of it. But. In some ways, I think that works really well for the sport of baseball. Again, visiting with Chris Bazin of the Lincoln Journal-Star here on Sports SportsHoney. Let's shift gears. Let's talk some college basketball. Fred Hoiberg's had this new batch of players for a couple of months. What, do you, what are you hearing? What's, the, what's kind of the scuttlebutt about what kind of talent he's brought in for this team?
2: Yeah, I, I think the talent is is a lot better this year than it was last year. Obviously, they, this coaching staff had a little bit more time, had a lot more time, to, you know, kind of put together a roster that that they really like. You know, they only, they put together last year's roster only in about 30 days or so and completely flipped it. So it was a it was a very rushed process this year. They had some more time. They're able to kind of, you know, get a better idea of what they want for their system, what what fits and what will work in the big 10. And yeah, I think the talent level is a lot better. I think the depth is a lot better. You know, the, the big issue, of course, like every other team is they just haven't been together a whole lot to practice. You know, they were able to finally get together, you know, back in July and get some workouts in, but even getting everybody back to campus, you know, with, with the overseas guys not being able to come back right away, with the guys from Canada not being able to come back right away. It's been difficult to get all those guys together. But I think if you asked Fred right now, he'd tell you he's, he's really happy with with the talent level, with the work ethic of this group, the, the way they want to get in the gym. He told me earlier this summer that he's had to kick guys out of the gym just because they've been in there so much, which obviously is, is music to any coach's ears. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see how that stacks up in, in a really good Big Ten conference, but I think we can, we can rest assured the talent level is a lot better this year than it was last year.
0: Chris, the next sport we're going to have to keep an eye on start times and all that is college basketball. I know that they presented like four options a few weeks ago. Do you have a lean? Does your gut say when you think maybe we'll see some college basketball?
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. It, when, when we first started talking about this, I thought it was going to be, you know, there's no way they're starting before January 1st and, and they're only playing conference games. And now you kind of see some of the stuff coming out, like you said, with the different models, uh, maybe some potential bubble-type situations, you know, with, with better testing, with, with better measures to, to prevent the spread of coronavirus. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we didn't see college basketball start in late November, early December, once, once the student body kind of goes home for winter break and, and you're able to keep the basketball team there. It kind of becomes a, a natural bubble in a way at a lot of these campuses. Now, now, who hosts those bubbles and how many teams you bring in and how many games you play – who knows what that looks like? But, you know, Dan Gavitt has said it, the the NCAA vice president for, for basketball, that you have to take advantage of those opportunities. If you can play games and do it safely in that time frame, you, you better do it. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see basketball, you know, it, it, I think it'll be later than than what it would normally be, but it wouldn't surprise me to see it starting up by the end of November
0: and there's a lot of us Chris and I don't know where you fall in there that to me kind of seems like should be a natural starting time anyway for college basketball kind of right around thanksgiving you've pretty much put college football to bed they can jump in there and go and it shortens their season a little bit i i i just, I, I wonder if we if we've extended college basketball too long starting practices in september and then teams who make the final four play into april that's a
2: really really long season for those kids yeah it's a grind it's a grind and it's it's and you, and we're not even talking about you know summer workouts or if you take yeah. an overseas trip like nebraska did last year going going to italy in august it it gets it gets really really long and, and especially when you play in a conference like the big 10 where it's just such a it's such a grind every single night and, and the travel it's just so difficult you know especially in the winter months obviously when you're flying halfway across the country and back yeah it's I agree with you Greg. I think a later start would be good for the game. I think a lot of coaches would probably agree with this there too. I think it it gives basketball, you know, a better chance to kind of kind of be the star on tv when it comes to college sports like you said it's kind of out out of college football's shadow a little bit so it kind of opens that window for that and yeah i think it's a lot easier on the players from a from a physical standpoint from a mental, and a mental standpoint because you're right you know like you say you start practicing in september you go through march or april that, that that's a <laughs> long time to, to to be going hard something
0: you know, these coaches crack me up, Chris, because I think they they've, they've say that they, the season's too long, and then yet they agree to all these things that back it up, and then they complain in March about what a long year it is. You're like, well, you guys control some of this. Why don't yeah. you cut it back a little? I remember. I'm old enough to remember. You are, too, that you didn't, you didn't start practice until October 15th. Well, now they've backed it up even two more weeks to get going, and it seems like there's a lot more basketball in November. Then December, and I know December's got final exams, and you do have to take that week off for that. But, boy, there's just a lot of weekends you're like, man, I'd like to watch a lot of college hoops, and there's hardly any games on here at all. When do you think that they may make some determinations? Are we looking in the next couple of weeks? Are we still a month away, do you think, before they kind of lock in some dates?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think we're looking at a couple weeks. I think mid-September you're going to start seeing you know, some initial plans kind of get rolled out some initial schedules kind of get rolled out from the NCAA. That's the one advantage, you know, college basketball I think does have over college football is there there is some NCAA control there when it comes yeah. to to setting a schedule. You know, it's it's not every conference for itself like we've seen with football and the mess that's become. So, I think that that makes it I don't know if easier is the right word, but it certainly makes it more more streamlined in a way and a little less clunky. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see something here, and again, Dan Gavitt has said they'd like to make an announcement by mid-September with with obviously the caveat that, that things can change any day and any moment. So, yeah, I would I would expect in a couple more weeks we'll have a lot better idea of how things might look.
0: Good, and that's a great point. Maybe college football can learn from all this and realize they need to hire a czar to kind of oversee their sport. Uh, maybe that could help out down the road. Chris, we appreciate it. Thanks very much. Are you covering a game this Friday night? Are you heading out somewhere again?
2: i'm i'm heading i'm doing a little class c football this week i'll be Ooh. heading to to utica for centennial and aquinas another top five matchup. so yeah it'll be a fun one i'm looking forward to it good we'll travel safe we appreciate it thank you yeah thanks for having me
0: well let's uh let's chat with our good friend angelique shangales from the detroit news good evening angelique i hope you're doing well any wild rumors innuendos kind of popping around your neck of the woods these days <laughs>
3: Well, the same ones you're hearing, of course, (laughs) but, um, you know, I'm getting text messages all day from parents saying, do you think they'll play in October? Can Trump do this? And I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I think that it's really going to come down to rapid testing, whether that's going to be available in abundance for the big 10 and, and by rapid testing, Greg, I mean, like, like almost, um, uh, like a pregnancy test kind of quickness, you know, they, they take it and boom, you've got your answer. And I think, that so once they get to that stage, I think football then is very plausible. But um, you know, beyond beyond the rumors that everyone's heard today, yeah, nothing, nothing. Unfortunately, not we're not getting ready to. Uh, I wish we were talking about uh, the Michigan-Washington opener yeah. that was originally scheduled. That would have been pretty cool, right now.
0: Sure would be. And you know, you're right. I mean, today that was the rumor of October the 10th was popping out there last Friday. The Milwaukee Sentinel had the story that it, they were going to start on Thanksgiving weekend. With games, it just keeps popping up from different. It's almost like a boat that keeps springing leaks. You have a leak, you plug it, and then there's another leak over here. It's just it's like whack a mole a little bit too. What we've been kind of doing here for the last couple of weeks. How are the Michigan parents? Did I see something they're going to have on Saturday? They're going to kind of come to the stadium and hang out in in honor of of no game happening.
3: Yeah, it's um, you know they 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 want it. I think they're calling it. We want. It's hashtag We want to play. Okay. And it is a it's, – it's assembled as a protest, but they want it to be kind of a fun protest, if that's – I think that's possible. Um, and they're meeting outside the tunnel, outside of Michigan Stadium, and, uh, you know, they want everyone to wear their game day apparel. And, you know, when I was talking to some of the organizers last week, they were talking about maybe marching to the president's lawn and, and making a statement, showing some support again for their sons and and all these people who want to see football – and um, you know it's, it's I was planning on going to Ann Arbor on Saturday anyway. I just wanted to see what it would be like. you know, would Ann Arbor be a ghost town or a semi ghost town? And I mean, I suspect it will be. And you got a hundred and some thousand people going to a game on Saturdays and, and they're not to be crowding the streets uh, of Ann Arbor on, on Friday, Saturday and, and even into Sunday. So um, that's the big excitement here. So um, but I've talked to a lot of a lot of the players, and Harbaugh went right to plan B. As soon as he got the news, they started this NFL combine kind of uh, workout. So they're planning on doing this big combine on October 24th, the day they were supposed to play Ohio State in the revised schedule. And his, his hope is to have NFL scouts there and, and for everybody to get their measurables in. So that's what they're working on now.
0: Has he made many comments? I've not seen a lot written about Jim Harbaugh. Has he met with media at all in the last two, three weeks? <laughs>
3: well you know a couple of years ago when he first took the job and they went into the submarine before the season i did i drew a stick figure because i'm like I, I don't remember what jim marball looks like so yeah. that, that should answer the question he really hasn't we've had one uh, one interaction with him uh probably a month and a half ago maybe a little bit less but uh, but no i mean he he had his comment when when the, they decided to postpone and uh you know he said his players want to play so he wants to play and, and he's very supportive of them and And I thought he had a little bit of a – I'd say a little bit of a dig. Maybe it was. Maybe that's a little strong. On Saturday, one of his associates in the athletic department put out a tweet that Michigan, the football team, had like 826 tests in the month of August and there were no positive results. And then Harbaugh retweeted that with, you know, stay positive, no negative, and we want to play. And they're football. And I, you know, I think his point is these guys were being very vigilant and they still are. And, you know, they're wearing masks all the time. I've talked to, I've interviewed several of these guys in the evening and I, and I'm just like, well, do you ever go anywhere? And they're like, um, yeah, maybe the grocery store once a week, they weren't doing anything. And they were, they were being really, really strict. So I, I think that was his point again on Saturday. Of like, look, everybody at Michigan has been, been doing what they're supposed to do. And, why can't
0: they play? Angelique Shengatos with the Detroit News with us here on Sports Nightly. All these athletic departments now, Angelique, are trying to figure out how do they, how do they fill the, the void of the, the money coming into the program. Nebraska laid off 51 people. Iowa's cut four sports. And I saw today Michigan's making some adjustments as well. What is the latest for Michigan athletics?
3: Yeah, I mean, Ward Manuel, Michigan's athletic director, said he was on a podcast um, out of U of M this morning and and said that they're expecting about a $100 million hit to their budget, which is roughly half of what they take in. And um, and they had to lay off 21 people today and and also pointed out that they've had a hiring freeze. So there are 15 positions that have not been filled. So I, I think you can probably look at it as 36 people in a way. And you know, there's going to be more budget cuts. There's going to be other cuts going forward, more than likely. He didn't he didn't say that, but I, I'm just not sure how you recoup that kind of loss and, and not make more cuts. Unfortunately, but they have not cut sports yet. That has not been uh, something that they've hinted at. But uh, boy, I mean, you know, I think we all know. Without football, this is uh, this is making it a struggle for every athletic department across the Big Ten, across the country, that, that the teams that aren't playing.
0: Angelique, I know you cover Michigan, but is there any talk from Michigan State on how they're going to overcome their deficit?
3: You know, that's a great question. I haven't heard anything from them. I know the players are not – they're going through more like off-season training right now versus going through practices. So that was the latest I had heard from Michigan State, but have not heard anything about their budget issues. You know, they're, they're going to face them as well. I mean, I don't know how any, any athletic department – of any team not playing football is going to avoid this kind of. This is catastrophic in in so many ways, and uh, it's not just about tightening your belt. It's about making cuts and slashing this budget. And you know, I think talking to Ward Manual before. I mean, it's it's essentially hitting a reset button. And, and now you're going to look going going forward. You're going to look at things like the Michigan baseball coach Eric Backage proposed earlier in the summer about making baseball more regional so you know michigan's spending two hundred thousand dollars in february to fly south back and forth so that they can start their baseball season don't do that anymore start the season later so i think you're going to see it's going to be more creative i think you're going to see less travel budget you know they're going to zoom calls seem to be working pretty well so those are the kinds of things you're going to see but is that enough to make a, a big enough a big enough stand? i'm not sure and i guess we'll find out coming up here
0: Yeah, you're right. And it's also hitting schools that are even still playing football. I saw Texas today, I think, laid off some people in their department, and they're still playing but certainly not getting full capacity at their stadium in Austin. A lot of plans floating out there, Angelique. Uh, the Thanksgiving plan, I think still has maybe some legs to it. The plane in the dome starting in January. Uh, then, then a season maybe later that maybe you do some on campus sites. Do you think Michigan has a preference at this point or they are they revealing their hand at all about what they might lean toward wanting to do?
3: Well, I mean, talking to a couple of the players last week, I, I mentioned that and they just said, just tell us the day, tell us where we want to play. So the players are ready to go whenever, I haven't heard preferences from from the Michigan side of thing. i think I think talking to Dan Deardorf this week, I did a podcast with with dan and and Jim Bransetter called out games for the radio
4: mm-hmm.
3: Michigan radio broadcast, and you know they're like, hey, I mean, Ryan Day's probably the one out there pounding you know the table to get this going earlier. and And like Deardorff said, rightfully so. He's got a great team. He wants to get out there. He wants to he's got a national championship caliber team. Michigan, you know, I don't know. I don't. I haven't heard Harbaugh pounding. He just wants to play, and and I think the the sooner the better. I think that's what the players want because now you're you're facing these options for these upperclassmen. Can they wait around? Are they going to be guaranteed a January season? Should they opt and go go to the NFL? We've already seen that from Michigan. They've got uh, two players, Jalen Mayfield and Ambry Thomas, have already declared for the NFL. So I think these are all things that, they're, that the coaches are talking about when they have those Friday meet on Thursdays, but the, that subcommittee of coaches discussing schedules meet Friday. And, and these are all things they're looking at. So earlier, the better for those kinds of, kind of situations. But I'm talking to a couple of players who have been involved in, in some of these player calls with, with uh, the commissioner. It sounds like he's talking more of January to them. So, and that was the most recent call was last week. So will that change? Probably. I mean, we've seen everything changing day to day, as, as you said, with all the rumors, Greg.
0: Well, we might be coming your way. We might be having a bunch of games in Ford Field there in Detroit here come January, February. Be kind of cool.
3: Well, I mean, Minneapolis, <laughs> you look at Indianapolis and, yep. and uh, yeah, Ford Field. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. And, and you know, maybe you stay for a week and and you play back-to-back games, and so you don't have to go back and forth if that's possible. Especially if students are taking online classes. And uh, I mean, I've been just been trying to think about how how do you do this so that they're not they're not traveling so much. And there's really gonna you know it's not going to be a home field advantage. It'll it will be travel wise, but there's not many fans there more than likely. So I think that that's out of the equation. It's just going to be weird no matter what, right? I mean, I think we just put an asterisk over everything
0: right now no no doubt and the one thing that I, I i'm that concerns me is i hope whatever they decide they don't damage next year you know I, I hope that they don't mess up the 2021 season by being aggressive and trying to get eight ten games in here in the spring or whatever and then you you foul up the 2021 schedule i think that would be the a big mistake if they went down that path well you're right i wish we were talking about the washington matchup and someday we'll get back to that Angelique. we always appreciate it thank you so much
3: Thank you. My pleasure.
5: That's one small step for man, one diaphragm for mankind. Five seconds left in
0: the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes!
5: And that's
4: the way it is. Good
5: night. Beyond
3: the Headlines.
5: All right, guys. Hope you're ready for this. Brett and I Ooh. have... Uh, Got the old Beyond the Headlines machine. It fired up. Hot off the presses. We got sports news. We got non-sports news. Oh, Tonight's edition will have it all. I can promise you that. Well, Brett's involved. Of course it is. Obviously. Just electric factory.
4: <laughs> yeah, you guys know I'm always going to bring it.
5: Speaking of bringing it, topic number one, Appalachian State brought it to Michigan 13 years ago. Today, the Mountaineers defeated the fifth-ranked Wolverines, 34-32 to at the Big House. They blocked a field goal attempt with just a few seconds remaining. Do you guys remember when you first heard about that score, and then what's the biggest upset you've watched on TV or seen in person?
0: Ooh,
1: uh, I've, I, I remember where I was when I watched the game. Um, at the time, I mean, I was – was that 2007? 2007. Yeah. At the time – at that time I was, what, 17 years old? But I, I considered that the the greatest upset, uh, upset in any sport I had ever watched. I mean, you think about App State at the time, they weren't even major college football at the time. And Michigan was a team that they thought was going to compete for a national championship that year. And they go into the big house and just shock them. When they lined up for that field goal – Everybody's thought was this always happens. Uh, you know, they, they, the, the little guy, you know, they play so well for the whole game and then Michigan makes a few plays. We all know how this story ends. They kick the field goal and move on to the next game. No, they block the kick and they almost score on the block kick. Mm. But and, – and I, and I believe there was another crazy upset that day or the week after that that was, was, another, it was another top five team that lost – uh, but, yeah, I remember that very, very vividly and couldn't have been more happy that it happened against the Michigan Wolverines and kind of a coincidence that we
0: just had Angelique on about yeah 10 minutes ago. Should have asked her about that. Um, that was also, I believe, BTN's first football broadcast. That was Uh-oh. the first year of BTN. I think that was mm-hmm. their first broadcast as well. Biggest upset I've watched, I was not watching that game. I think I was at a game. I don't quite remember where i was but i was i think at a college game and just kept getting scores the biggest thing that i've watched from start to finish i'm gonna go to the ncaa tournament when a 16 beat a1 umbc beat virginia just a couple years ago it's probably the biggest thing that i've watched Uh, i did not see the miracle on ice i was at a high school basketball game when that took place and i didn't see Douglas knocking out Tyson. That was like at 2 a.m. in the morning. Didn't see it either. <laughs> I uh
1: I, man, this is just the the getting all of our guests covered here. Kevin Kugler who we had on last night. I listened to him. Call, yep. I was driving from Lincoln to Omaha when that game was happening and and just remember they I was like literally yelling in my car. I'm like they're going to do it. Yep. I mean every and they beat the crap out of the Virginia. Like it wasn't <laughs> like they got to lay in at the buzzer. But I, I ended up going to a, one of our favorite joints here in Lincoln to meet meet a couple of buddies, and I think I made it made it to that spot at the under four media timeout in the second half. And I think the other thing that I remember about that upset is how how UMBC's Twitter handle blew up. Remember oh, how yeah. funny those guys were on oh, Twitter yeah. for like the next year? <sighs> Just hilarious. But yeah, do you know the, who they was...
0: played in the next round? You guys remember who they played in the next round? Would um, K State,
5: wouldn't it? Have been?
0: Yeah. K-State beat Creighton in the 8-9 matchup. Oh, that's right. Yeah, And okay. so, you know, it could have been Creighton if Creighton was the 8, K-State was the 9. K-State had a minor upset to beat Creighton and then went and beat UMBC to get to the Sweet 16. Didn't K-State thump Creighton? Got him, yeah, I think double digits. And then K-State beat Kentucky. In the Sweet 16, to get to the Elite Eight and then got That's when they lost to
1: Loyola, right? Uh,
0: Who played Loyola? You bet. That was it. Loyola beat him in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four.
5: After Loyola beat Tennessee.
0: Correct. Yeah.
5: We just know everything. How about
1: that? There's nothing nothing that escapes the steel traps on this show.
0: Thank you, everybody.
1: Great night. (laughs) See you later. We can't beat that. And, we'll put our cash apps in our Twitter handle. You can send us money for this entertainment.
4: <laughs> oh, boy. And, and and one upset not to be forgotten, even though it wasn't a single game, the Leicester City winning the Premier League uh, just a few years ago. I think sure. that, was, yeah. that was pretty mm-hmm. insane. All right, uh, topic <laughs> number two here. You guys enthused. All right, topic number two here yesterday, the – Thunder beat the Houston Rockets in game six of their first round series. Uh, if you didn't see the end, it was not a good showing from former Thunder point guard Russell Westbrook, who turned the ball over a few times down the stretch, including with 7.6 seconds on the clock and trailing by two. With that being said, what are you guys' thoughts on the possibility that a team like the Thunder, who many counted out after losing Russ, could end up beating the duo of Harden and Russ? And then also, do you guys think the Houston small ball experiment has failed?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably – it can't win a championship. I think we've kind of determined that. It can be a good team in the regular season, but Mm -hmm. it can't hold up in the playoff run. It would be sweet irony if Oklahoma (laughs) City could pull that off. I don't think they will. I think Houston wins game seven, but it would be sweet irony if they were able to do that. That would be pretty – I mean, sports just in general are really weird. Like,
1: the coincidences that happen in sports are just crazy. Like, this Mm. is completely unrelated to what we're talking about, but I've got on here the Toronto Blue Jays – and the Miami Marlins. Like, think about the coincidences that are happening in this game alone. Batting right now is Starling Marte, who was just traded to Miami from Arizona. He is facing against Robbie Ray, who now pitches for Toronto, who was his teammate in Arizona two days ago. So they they have faced each other this now three times today, so you've got that tie. Also in this game, you've got Jonathan Villar, who just made an error on Starling Marte, just played for the Marlins, and now he's playing for the Toronto Blue Jays. And the park that he just played in was his home park two days ago. So Jonathan VR gets traded from the Marlins to the Blue Jays. They're, they play each other, and he just made an error on a guy who's facing his former teammate from a, from a day ago. Just the stuff that happens in sports you just can't you just can't make it up sometimes.
4: In- That's why we love it. And back on back on Harden, do you guys think that Houston's wasting his career? Or do you think that he is a player that can't really get past the first couple rounds or, or into a, a final?
1: I mean, that's tough to say because...
0: That's a really hard one because well, he made the finals, ex- right? In OKC when Durant
4: was still there, they got to beat. Yeah, but when he was this wasn't the star. Yeah, of let's the say show. the Houston the, Rockets this. version of of Harden because obviously it's, he's it's, morphed into something. I think different.
1: that's a hard question, Brett, because Harden's really the the last one, and you could make the argument that he dipped OKC, but he was the sixth man, wasn't he on yeah. that mm-hmm. on yeah. that team? Yeah. He wasn't even a starter, mm-hmm. so he goes to Houston. Really, everybody else goes and forms kind of this super team. Mm-hmm. You could kind of you could kind of make the uh, you know the the argument that yeah they brought, they brought in Russ but the kind of these super teams are happening around him and he, he just hasn't been a part of one so I yep. don't know that his career's necessarily wasted he's just run up against a dynasty and the Warriors and, uh, and and obviously we'll have to beat LeBron too so true I, being I don't know West that it, I don't know helped. that his career has been wasted because he's won he, what, he's won an MVP and yep uh, probably yeah, should have so, been too yeah yeah I don't know I don't know that his. I would I would say no his career hasn't been wasted
4: yeah
5: all right. he, he was a win away from the finals too before Chris Paul pulled his hamstring. And then James Harden right. didn't miss twenty-seven straight True. threes in Game Seven. of That <laughs> wasn't conference right. yeah. final series, but yeah. all right. Topic number three of the night. So earlier this week, forty-eight-year-old Manny Ramirez signed a one-year contract to play <laughs> baseball. He's he's hopping the pond. He's going to play for the Sydney Blue Sox of uh, the Australian Baseball League. Sydney finished last in its division last year. So I suppose the hope is that Ramirez sparks the team back into contention. <laughs> Do You guys think Manny has enough left in the tank to help? <laughs> That's
1: probably hilarious. Mean, probably I, not. <laughs> I mean, you think about uh, Manny's Ramirez's international reputation after this is <laughs> after this this scenario in, in Australia plays out. I mean, he was a legend in China. Like like they yeah. loved him. Mm-hmm. They loved him in Asia. Like he he was a a star in that league. I think I just think that's hilarious. And now he's there's a lot of former Huskers that have went down under and played in that Australian baseball league. Can you imagine like a Christian
0: DeLeon pitching to Manny Ramirez and <laughs> what kind of story that would be? <laughs> that's awesome. You know you, you you've got a lot of these guys that kind of hang on wasn't it like Julio Franco, I think, played some in that league that the Salt Dogs were in for a while. Mm-hmm. You've had a bunch of those guys that have kind of come back in their late 40s. It's a little gimmicky. It's a little bit to try to sell tickets. And also, those guys just want to see if they can do it one more time. Just want to keep yeah. playing,
4: yeah. yeah. What I remember, was it Roger Clemens that tried to do a weird comeback like, I don't know, five or ten years yeah, ago? Yeah, Sugar
5: Lane Skeeters a couple years ago. There you right? go. Yeah, Rafa Palmeiro, one. same league. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was interesting.
4: All right. Uh, now let's switching over to a little NFL topic here. Yesterday, the Jacksonville Jaguars waived former fourth overall pick in the two thousand and seventeen NFL Draft, Leonard Fournette. And news is circulating today that Saints star running back Alvin Kamara is being shopped around in the trade market. We're seeing a trend over the last decade or so where longevity of running backs seems to have shortened to around uh, three years. Of course, Kamara is an exception to the first round running back conversation. But do you guys think that drafting running backs any higher than the third or fourth round is worth the investment in the long term anymore? Isn't it
0: amazing I, how much that has switched in the last 30 years, Ben? It's crazy. I mean, it used to be the yeah. backs were the ones you wanted to get, and now, like Brett said, their, their lifespan is so short. I, it is if it's the right guy because, I mean, if you think about
1: you know the elite of the elite right now, right, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon True. Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, you're, you're going to pay all those guys. But the problem has become the market for what these elite running backs want to make and and part of the problem with Alvin Kamara is the Saints are and Kamara himself has just seen what uh, like for example this is another good example what what the Cincinnati Bengals just paid Joe Mixon and and the problem is like they're the franchises are having to make a decision if they're wanting to shell out multiple millions of dollars a year for a running back and 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 I would say at least half the cases the answer is no they're not going to do that but when you have one of those elite talents and those elite players you got to keep them I mean like like Leonard Fournette is going to land somewhere Mm. and his price tag is probably going to drop it's probably going to be more more than likely a one maybe a two-year deal Mm. I know Kansas City's even kind of sniffing around Fournette But some of these guys just got to understand the market for him just isn't that great. And unless you're one of the Le'Veon Bell scenario, he sat out an entire year because he couldn't get the price tag that he wanted. And look at where he ends up. He's with with the New York football Jets where they can't even snap the ball to the quarterback. So (laughs) it's just a weird market right now for NFL running backs. And and Kamara's in a a weird situation in New Orleans because Drew Brees isn't getting any younger. They're going to have to pay Michael Thomas here soon. Is it worth paying Kamara that much money? They're having to weigh that option right now. So if you drafted Alvin Kamara in your fantasy draft right now, oh
5: God.
0: you're pretty nervous that that guy's yeah. not going to make it on the field. It's just the game has changed. It's evolved where now it's more of a quarterback-wide receiver league where 20, 25 years ago it was definitely a running back league. You had to have a prime running back to make a deep run in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's all now in the quarterbacks and to a certain degree the wide receivers.
1: Here's a random fact. Since we know everything on this show – I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go ahead and throw another nugget out there for people free of charge. Alvin Kamara has exactly 81 receptions in each of the last three seasons. How weird is that? He's caught wow. 81 passes exactly in That's each of the last three years.
5: very weird. If he hits that again, if there's, you know, if there's any sort of a shortened season, he hits that again, that would be absolutely insane. We'd have to look into that. <laughs> Something's
4: going on. Something's going on down in New Orleans. I don't know. <laughs>
5: All right, topic number five. So late last week, there was a three-year-old girl found floating a mile off the shore of a, an island in Greece. She was about as really? safe as could be expected, given that she was riding on her f- inflatable unicorn raft. And there is a... Uh, ferry captain that was the one to rescue her after she was floating for about 20 minutes now don't blame the parents they weren't neglecting her they did try to pull her back in in a little dinghy but the current got too strong mm-hmm. swept the boat back in they couldn't get to the girl so she went floating for about 20 minutes before Jeez. the captain could get Ooh. to her step in your confession booth here for a little bit guys have you guys ever lost <laughs> your kids and if so where or for how long oh <laughs> god
1: Mine's been alive for barely two months. I know. Really, I, yeah, I really Kef- hope Kefra Ben's Kefra got a Kefra no Kennedy. on this one. Yeah, she,
0: she's she's accounted for, um, for, for all I know. You know, the the nervous times is when they get old enough and you're not with their mom and they have to go to the bathroom in a public place by themselves uh, yeah. and you're standing outside that restroom going, come on, come on, come on, get out, come get, out of here. Get out, get, yeah. out, get, out, get out of here. And, man, you just you sit there and go, whew, okay. But, no, uh, fortunately,
4: no, uh, no lost uh, Wow, strays with three girls. Wow, that's actually yeah. pretty shocking. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I might have ran off a few times when I was a child. <laughs> Greg, you you
1: got daughters kind of that age where you know they're out with friends and and curfew's a thing. I, are, are they good with their curfew? Are you one of those parents that are, like, down to the minute, like 12 o'clock's your curfew, no. and you're, you're clicking your phone every minute and making sure the garage is coming open at 11.59?
0: <laughs> not not too much. Um, and now but you know, the two oldest ones are out of the house, so I don't, I don't know where they are most hours, so <laughs> kind of lose track of that. Out out of mind. Even, even when they were living here and had curfews, they were both pretty good about that. I was fortunate.
1: Man. that See, to me, like, as, as a dad, like, that's when you ask about, like, keeping track of your kids, and I, I mean, I – Again, two months old. We barely cracked the egg on this deal. Um, That's where I could see my worry coming in is, you know, are they going to show up or, you know, getting home safe at night? Very true.
5: My brothers and I were unaccounted for in the Mall of America at ages 74 at one point.
1: That's not an easy place to get found either. That's a monstrous place. We
5: weren't that far away. but It was one of those. We were there with my my aunt and my grandpa, and uh, Aunt ran into my parents didn't have us and the reply was i think they're with grandpa <laughs> <laughs> no, no certainty but uh, obviously we made it back eventually so
4: all right you're here yeah yes. i mean counted for now <laughs> Moving on now, Uh, you guys talked about it on Friday. MJ Knighton was named the head coach of the San Diego softball program, just three seasons removed from her playing career for the Huskers. Um, With that news, which current Nebraska athlete do you guys see or think could make Hmm. a solid coach here in the future? Hmm. Good one.
0: Man, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Just could, I, you know what? I think I could see. I think Adrian Martinez could be a good coach. I, I think he's got, you know, the patience to be a guy that could. I think he's got a good mind. I, I could see Adrian being a guy that could be a football coach at some point in time. And he's great
1: with kids. Yep. Like, yep. I don't know what age he would be a coach, but. Personable. Um, I'll try and give you one for each each sport.
0: Could Could Thor be a good coach in hoops? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's yeah. the one that comes to mind for me is he just seems like he's a, he's a real thinker of the game. Definitely a high IQ guy. Yep. Yeah. For sure. And then baseball,
1: Logan Foster, I think, is a good candidate. Okay. Joe Acker would be a good candidate. All right. Um, Who would have thought Michael Pritchard would be coaching in this <laughs> day and age? Yeah. I mean, I think there are a few. There are a few guys on the baseball team that I think would be good coaches but yeah it's kind of a cop out to say adrian cuz he's a quarterback but he but he does he does fit that mold I would, yeah last year i would there there are two guys immediately that come to mind last year that that are no longer on the team
4: mm-hmm.
1: Muhammad berry okay and noah vejral yeah those noah, are two guys that, that, that was one i that thought about too immediately come to mind that are no longer on the team but yeah, i could see both of those guys becoming coaches
4: it'll be interesting to see uh this freshman class of any, uh, any guys pop out there yeah it's in Vedrill's
5: blood, too. It runs in his family. How about Cam
4: Taylor Britt? That's one. Ooh. I like that. That's a good Let's pick. See
5: it.
1: I could just see him, like, dancing, like, in front of his team <laughs> before they take the he's, field. He's like, the
5: high-energy guy.
4: You
1: yeah. need strategy there. <laughs> I yeah. like it.
5: All right, we'll wrap it up with this. So near Kyoto, Japan, locals have had issues with bands of monkeys raiding their farms to steal oh, and no. destroy <laughs> all their crops. And so three grandmothers, the youngest of which is 67 years old, these, these three took matters into their own hands and formed a group called the <laughs> Monkey Busters. So this group has armed itself with airsoft guns, and it's essentially like the Minutemen from the Revolutionary War, except that they're fighting off the monkeys, not the British. <laughs> But uh, what are the greatest lengths you guys have gone to to protect your home from invaders?
0: Leave the lights on, lock the doors. Yeah, <laughs>
4: that's right about it for yeah. me. Set, set your
0: ring. You set your ring, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, nights that you know you're worried about getting teepeed or something, you leave the uh, outside yeah. lights on all night long. Oh yeah, I'm trying to think of like other
1: invaders, like pests or. <laughs> you know,
4: Gre- Greg? Do you have the Do you have those floodlights that are motion sensor that just like no, freak I the don't. kids out when they? Oh, I don't. Our neighbor next door does, but we okay, don't. we have those in the back. I, those ones were. Uh, I was not a fan of those when I was a kid. I'll just say that. I'm not going to say what I was <laughs> could doing. Could sneak back in? Could you? I wasn't no. was, wasn't a fan. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Unrelated, but I feel like Monkey Busters could be a great band name too. Sure, or, yeah, it is a know. pretty
0: good band name, uh, yeah, or, or uh, even a. Maybe an SNBL franchise next year. Sure. there, hey, go. there we go. Better we're than the, the Monkey Cthulhus. Cthulhus. <laughs> One of we're us is going to say it. <laughs> we're the Monkey Busters. Good stuff, boys. Well done. We think them up, we count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Well, the trade deadline for Major League Baseball was yesterday. A lot of teams made some moves, like the Padres were really active in the trade deadline. So we thought, all right, with the stretch run now coming up, who are the top 10 teams in baseball? Remember, 16 are going to make the playoffs. We're not even taking all the teams that are going to make the playoffs. This will be fun. This was, uh, this was fun for me. I, I kind of shuffled a couple teams around a little bit. What would you boys do with this thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the first thing that I that I noticed on my list was um, there hasn't I mean, obviously, a few teams on my list made moves, but a lot of the teams didn't really go crazy at the trade deadline and uh, just kind of went with what they got. So um, I wouldn't say the trade deadline influenced my list a ton, but it definitely did have an impact on one or two teams.
5: Yeah, it's just kind of weird this season, too, with it only being a 60-game sprint. Normally, we're just still, you know, getting to know these teams, trying to figure out who they are. But, you know, now they're two-thirds half the way through their season already. So you got to draw some conclusions based off of that. You know, there's no small sample sizes this year. It's all just the sample size you get. So some of these teams I don't know if I would have had here at the beginning of the year, a couple of teams I might have had on earlier aren't in. So it's been an interesting season so far. Austin, why don't you lead us off? Well, all right. I will jump right in with number 10 here. This is where I've got the pinstripes, the New York Yankees. Fresh off a seven-game losing streak. They've picked it up recently, but all the pieces are there to make a deep postseason run. They've had a lot of injuries. Uh, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, two notable names among them. Their placements have been okay. Again, that seven-game losing streak made me bump him down a little bit. On the field, I don't think they're top ten right now, but on paper they definitely are, and I think I trust them to get it together and be decently formidable in the playoffs. Okay. My number
0: ten, I'm staying in the American League like you did. I've got the Cleveland Indians here, and they probably will be higher in your guys' list. I just don't love them at the plate right now. They just really seem to struggle at times. And I think trading Clevenger, and I get it, I understand why they did it, but, man, that is a quality arm they, they just parted with here at the deadline, I think they make the playoffs, but for me, they just fall in the, the ten hole. All right,
1: Austin, I align with you uh, here at number ten. I've got the Yankees here at number ten. Um, like, I like their staff. I don't love their staff. Obviously, Garrett Cole is is dominant, maybe the best arm in baseball. Tanaka has been really up and down this year. Jay Happ off the IL, he needs to be better. But like what I've seen out of Montgomery, um, kind of filling in that role. And the the thing I've got here on underlined on the Yankees is the injuries. I mean, Austin, you said the two big ones with Judge and Stanton, but I'll add Glaber Torres. They just got DJ LeMahieu off the IL, and if some of these other players start to do um, get come off the IL and and perform the way DJ LeMahieu, he's homered twice tonight. You get a sense of of what the the Yankees are missing in that lineup. Gary Sanchez has been awful. He's batting under one thirty. Torres is getting close to coming off the IL. He's been awful this year. They're, they're going to have to get some of these guys going, but you're right, on paper, they, they should be able to compete for a title on paper.
5: I'll stick in the AL East with number nine here. But I go north of the border, I've got the Toronto Blue Jays here, mm-hmm. quietly the second-best pitching staff in the American League behind Cleveland. Um, but it's, you know, the pitching staff has been really solid for Toronto. It's veteran enough. They got a lot of guys that know what they're doing. Hyunjin Ryu, the big pickup over the offseason. And the offense is a little bit above average, but you look at all those names, Guriel Jr., Bichette, Biggio, Guerrero Jr., all those guys. You know, it can it's an offense that can sure explode. You know, it's a young lineup with some experience in the pitching staff, pick up a couple guys at the trade deadline. You know, I think they can get hot and be a tough out. I, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of the Blue Jays. they need to get
1: yeah they need to get Bichette (laughs) off the the IL um and it sounds like he's getting closer they acquired Jonathan VR from the Marlins which I think is gonna is gonna be a a big boost for them but it's been guys that people probably haven't heard of with them Teoscar Hernandez is having a heck of a year batting over 300 and one of the better names in baseball Rowdy Tellez (laughs) is their DH and he's starting to mash a little bit so I agree their offense is there I just I'm really worried about their bullpen I Ken Giles should be back off the IL here relatively soon, but um, I know their bullpen has been really good at times, but it's also let them down late in games at times. But I agree that they're a better they're a better team than what their record shows. I would
0: agree. The Buffalo Blue Jays, huh? yeah, wow, how about that? All right, my number nine was your guys' ten. This is where I've got the Yankees slotted in here, and I think they can slide upwards if they get those guys back and they get and they get healthy and they're playing well. So they, They have a lot of star power if they can get it fixed, and they've got just enough time to do that. Will they finish, figure it out? Don't know, but I've got them at nine. All right, very good. My number nine, I've got the
1: Chicago Cubs here at number nine. Their starting pitching rotation got off to some of the best starts in baseball. Uh, I think, like through the first month, they had the number one statistical starting rotation in baseball with Hendricks and Darvish leading the way. Those guys pound the strike zone. I guess you can throw Mills in that conversation. John Lester's still hanging around, doing some decent things, making some okay starts for the Cubs. The big question I have with them, as I underline the injuries with uh, the Yankees, I underline the bullpen with the Cubs. You're relying on, uh, right now, Craig Kimbrell to close games. He's looked a lot better since he was uh, yanked from that closer role. Couldn't have been any worse. Rowan Wick is kind of floating around there for closer. They go and acquire Andrew Chafin from the Arizona Diamondbacks, just like the Hickman Harriers did. They go at the deadline, go acquire Andrew Chafin. And they bring a a, a decent bat in Jose Martinez up from Tampa Bay as well. So they made a couple of moves. I'm I'm not sold on their bullpen. Chris Bryant off the DL uh, tonight, or the IL, I should say. And if they can can stay healthy, they're getting an unbelievable season from Ian Happ, who homered for the 10th time tonight. So I I like what I'm seeing out of the Cubs. Just can't put him any higher than nine.
5: All right, number eight, I got my third American League team already here. This is where I've got the Minnesota Twins. Again, the offense has scuffled all year. The pitching's been pretty good, but it's not the Bomba squad it was last year. You know, the White Sox just passed them for the division. Minnesota's pretty safely in the playoffs, but Ooh, it's got us to, the, the offense has to step up, especially because the top-tier frontline pitching, the names don't match up with the rest of the AL. It needs more out of that offense.
0: They have leaked oil, haven't they? My goodness. Yeah. The and their, bullpen, their bullpen's a big-time question mark, too. Yeah. All right, my number eight, I'm going to the National League for my first team on that side. And I got the Atlanta Braves here. A little disappointed they didn't do more uh, to try to go get a starting pitcher at the deadline. I, I just I worry about their starting pitching. I was higher on them maybe two, three weeks ago than I am now. Still like them. I still think they win that division. I've got the Braves at number eight. All right, very good. My number eight, I got the Houston Astros
1: here at eight. Uh, obviously, with them, it starts with uh, with Zach Granke at the top of the rotation. But other than that, uh, not very good in the rotation. Lance McCullers has been bad. They're requiring uh, they're requiring guys that have never done it before the the, you know a bunch of prospects to fill that rotation they tried josh james for a while that didn't work he was on the il they put him back in the bullpen framber valdez big strikeout potential he's been pretty good so far as has christian javier so they've they've got some guys that i think have potential to do it we've just never seen them do it consistently obviously in the back end too. roberto osuna uh, out out for the year on the 60-day il's no bueno uh, and Alex Bregman needs to get healthy with that hamstring injury. Jose Altuve finally starting to get cranked back up. He had an unbelievably putrid start to the year, batting under 200. He's starting to get going. George Springer's had a bad year. He's starting to get going. And, and the other big thing for the Astros is that um, I can't put them no higher than eighth is, is Jordan Alvarez is out for the year too so I mean that's some big time names that the Astros are missing or haven't produced at the high level and I just don't know that their frontline starting rotation can take them very far to the playoffs
5: that's why I kept Houston off my list all give you that spoiler but my number seven has already been said ben said it at number nine the cubs here they lead the central by a few games you darvish having almost a career renaissance it seems he's looked untouchable at points this year and chris Bryant, anthony rizzo and javier baez really haven't done anything for the cubs yeah they've been injured nicked up ineffective whatever reason you want to say it's happened to the cubs so if those guys get healthy and get going I think the Cubs are going to be pretty dangerous, especially if Ian Happ and Jason Hayward can sustain and you Darvish keeps things going.
0: I line up with you, Austin. I've got the Cubs at seven. They've got to get Kimbrell out of that bullpen. He's just been a mess all year long. Maybe getting Andrew Chafin is going to really help them out a little bit. They've got to figure that thing out. But they're the clear favorites in that NL Central to win that thing. Uh, and, and you're right. They've had some guys who've really performed well. It's a lineup that still has some postseason experience behind it with some of those guys that made the run in 16. So I got the Cubs here at 7. All right, my number 7, Greg, you had at 10, and I did have this
1: team higher as you had anticipated. I've got the Cleveland Indians here at number 7. Their, their rotation, I still, I still have a, a fair amount of confidence in with Shane Bieber, again, one of the top three arms in baseball. Carlos Carrasco will need to be more consistent like he was in his last start and do it against somebody else other than the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Savali's having a good year, and they got Zach Pleszak back, who is starting tonight against Kansas City. He's three shutout innings. And they got a young prospect that I'm really interested in to see how he performs over the next couple of weeks. Now that they've traded uh, Clevenger, Tristan McKenzie is going to get a look at at a more consistent level in that rotation. As I mentioned before, absolute string bean, uh, weighs about 60 pounds, but can really run it up there. Fun guy to watch. They they go acquire a couple of names at the deadline with Austin Hedges from San Diego and Josh Naylor from San Diego. But, Greg, you, your concern is mine, their offense. Um, they, they've got to find a way to do it more consistently. You know, we've seen Hernandez do it. We've seen Ramirez do it. We've seen Lindor do it. We've seen the other Santana do it. Fran Mill Reyes has been consistent, but they've all done it at different times, and they just can't seem to get it going. I thought maybe they scored 14 runs against the Cardinals the other day. I thought maybe that might jump start them, but they were right back to the tank offensively. Um, so they got dominated by Brad Keller yesterday in Kansas City too. Their, their offense just has to find a way to
0: get going. They're not going to see Matt Harvey very often. <laughs> <laughs> no.
5: I don't think anyone's going to be seeing Matt Harvey very often anymore. But before I move on to number six, first of all, good to see Shane Bieber back from his broken head in SMBL. Yeah. <laughs> but, then you did just call him a top three arm in baseball. Who, who of the Cole, DeGrom, Scherzer, Troika you think he's better than?
1: Scherzer has been awful this year. I mean, I don't know if you've watched him. His ERA is almost to five. Um, yeah, I would put him ahead of Scherzer right now for sure.
5: Fair enough. All right, number six, I go from the north side to the south side of Chicago. Our friend Teddy Greenstein said he'd pick the White Sox to be better than the Cubs this year. I have him one spot higher in my ranking here. I think a lot of the pieces are there. I still think they're a year away, but that lineup is just absolutely insane. Best OPS plus in the AL. The pitching's getting better. As we saw Giolito throw that no-no late last week. Can they hold off Minnesota and Cleveland? I'm not sure, but I think they do. I, I'm taking the Chi Sox to win the Central right now.
0: Man, I'm right there with you. I've got the Sox at 6-2, just a spot ahead of the Cubs, just like you did, Austin. I, I think they're a fun team to watch. Tim Anderson's one of the game's best hitters. Uh, they've got power in that lineup. Giolito may be becoming now a real ace for them with the confidence of throwing in the no-no. They're hot. Uh, they're confident. I think they've been built for this about this year and next year for that organization to take the jump. And I like the mojo that team has right now. I've got them at 6. All right, you're sick.
1: my 6 is your 8, Greg. I've got the Atlanta Braves here at number 8. And a little bit of this is eye test. I mean, there's a lot of people probably kicking and screaming that are Major League Baseball fans at their radio right now that I have Atlanta all the way up at 6, given the status of their starting rotation. I completely agree with you. I'm dumbfounded why Atlanta didn't go get throw their hat in the ring with a Dylan Bundy or a Lance Lynn once Clevenger was off the table. Max Freed has been brilliant. Everybody else in that rotation has been absolutely terrible. They have a rookie, Ian Anderson, making his second start tonight. He's been okay so far tonight, but they're going to need him to come up and, and start pitching uh, at an elite level if they're going to do anything they acquire. Uh, Tommy Malone from Baltimore he was brutal in his first start I think he allowed like seven runs in his first start with Atlanta and Josh Tomlin's out of the bullpen in the starting rotation got to get Ozzie Albies healthy and, and Ronald Acuna has been battling a hamstring too but I will say this with the Braves for whatever reason, when they get into the late innings, they find a way to win games. And, and sometimes it's not always about the best teams. We've seen a lot of St. Louis Cardinal teams built this way, and I've seen that a ton from Atlanta. They are unbelievable in late games, and they just find ways to win. And I do like their offense, so I've got Atlanta here at six.
5: They find ways to win games late. They find ways to sneak into my top five. That's where I have Atlanta.
0: Okay. My, my five, uh, Ben had earlier. Here's where I've got Houston. I don't know if you guys have noticed, boy, the last two weeks they've been on fire. They took both games from Oakland before that series got shut down. All of a sudden there's a race now in the AL West. I know they're down some bodies right now, but they have a lot of guys that know how to win. They've learned how to muffle their trash can, so they're still getting those signs out there. It's just not as audible for people. I'm kidding. But um, I just think they know how to win. It's a winning organization, and I think they're going to be right there in late September. I've got Houston at five. Got to get Springer and Altuve going. My number five was uh, your guys' number six. I've got
1: the Pale hosers from the Windy City here at six. Dallas Keuchel's been unbelievable for them. Dane Dunning, another young, young name who has been really good. I don't know that they can keep him out of the rotation. He I He keeps pitching the way that yeah. he did. Their bullpen scares me. Losing Aaron Bummer, which sounds like for the year. I know I'm homering it, but it doesn't sound like he's going to come back this year. Um, Colome just blew his first save. But the depth in the bullpen is a little bit of a concern. But I like Chicago a lot. I think they could win the whole thing.
5: All right, another exciting young team is my number four. This is where I've got the Friars of San Diego. I mean, far and away the most active team of the trade deadline. A.J. Preller had himself a 48 hours. I mean, he's been almost as nuts as Fernando Tatis Jr. has been. The lineup is deep. I think there's enough pitching, and all they need is a chance. If they can get into the playoffs, I think they have that, like Greg was talking about with Chicago, the, the mojo, the swagger, you know, enough energy. I think San Diego is going to be a threat in the NL.
0: Austin, you and I line up a lot on this list. That's where I've got the Padres as well. And if you're a Royals fan, there's some former Royals on that team with Will Myers and Eric Hosmer, uh, the, the San Diego Slammers. After all the grand slams, they hit there for a while. Tatis has become a real superstar. Machado's still one of the game's best hitters. It's a really potent lineup, and I just think they're kind of feeling it right now. And you know they have their sights set on the Dodgers, who no, nobody has mentioned yet, but I like them a lot. I think they're a fun team to watch. I've got to watch more of them this year than any other time because they're playing more games in our time zone, and I've really enjoyed watching the Padres. I've watched a ton of them, and let's make it a perfect uh, full house, three for three on the Slam
1: Diego Padres. You guys mentioned all their offense. I don't need to mention any of their offense. I'll make one quick note. Jake Cronenworth might win rookie of the year in the National League. The former Michigan Wolverines continues to tear it up. Uh, obviously, Mike Clevenger at the rotation. But I'll give you another name. If you have not watched Denelson-Lamette pitch, you've got to find a way to, to watch this guy pitch. Unbelievable stuff. I mean, in the upper 90s and just an absolute hammer of a breaking ball. He's, you don't really see a lot of two-pitch starters, but he's a two-pitch starter that nobody can hit right now. I like San Diego a lot. I've got him at four. All
5: right, on to the bronze medal spot on my list. This is where I've got Oakland. They've still got that two-and-a-half game lead over Houston, as hot as Houston has been recently. The lineup's been solid. The pitching and defense have done enough. They picked up Mike Miner from Texas in an in-division trade, and mostly Orman Robote's third baseman, Matt Chapman, deserves an ALCS bid, so... <laughs> oakland's my number three
0: man austin you and i again i that's where i've got the a's <laughs> i like their lineup man they just have a bunch of mashers most of the guys in that lineup are a threat to go deep mike Miner doesn't seem like a real sexy pickup at the deadline but he was pretty good in his last start in texas he's a guy that's used to pitching late in seasons i think he'll get better as the year moves along for them uh i i like oakland i've got him three yeah Miner's gonna have to be better um hmm.
1: I've got got a different team here at three. I've got Tampa Bay here at three. Glass now needs to be better. Snell's been okay. The the one knock on Snell, is his numbers are good. He just can't work very late into games. That that worries me. And other than Glass now and Snell, not a ton of firepower with Tampa Bay's rotation. They got to get Chuck Morton healthy. Uh, That Hickman-Harrier needs to come in and kind of save the day with that rotation a little bit. Like their offense a lot, I I think they've got some really good pieces offensively. Willie Adamas is kind of breaking out as as they expected. Brandon Lau is is unbelievable the way that that he's been swinging the bat. Yandy Diaz is solid. So I've got Tampa Bay here at three. A little bit of concern. And the other thing with Tampa Bay, I think they've got 12 guys on the IL right now. So they've got to find a way to get healthy.
5: That is a big concern. Not enough for me to keep him from my number two spot here. They recently overtook the Yankees in the East. And I think Kevin Cash is a really good manager. You know, normally those guys are just kind of figureheads. They don't do a whole lot. But Tampa Bay in years past has been creative with the shifts, with the lineups, with the openers. So I think he can play around with that team enough. He has so far their tops in the East. And that lineup, like you said, Ben, is really solid. So I trust Kevin Cash. I trust the starting pitching to get back on track. I'm a big Tampa fan right now.
0: Cash, to me, is the most underrated manager in baseball. Just continues to crank that thing with whatever they give him. And at times that organization doesn't give him a lot, but he makes the most out of it. I've got Tampa, too, as well. Even with all those injuries, they have vaulted to the front of that AL East. I mean, they've got a, about the same number of injuries as the Yankees do, but they keep winning. They keep going out. And I know they're losing the night to the Yankees, but they just keep trucking right along. I think they're even my pick to win that division when we did this a month ago. I'm sticking with that. I like them a lot. I could see them in the World Series. I have Tampa, too. And I my. Th- uh, two is your guys' three. We flip flopped. I've
1: got Oakland here. I-, I love their pitching staff. Absolutely love their pitching staff. Frankie Monta, Sean Manaya, one of the brighter arms in baseball, a lefty in Jesus Lazardo that can throw up in the upper 90s. Chris Bassett has been really solid. And they go bit- get Mike Miner, who they might not even have to make him start. He could, you know, they've got Mike Fires as well. Yep. They-, they-, they could put him wherever they want. And offensively, they're really good. I know some of the guys on their team aren't hitting for the average that you would like to see. But Mark Canna's kind of busted loose here. Matt Chapman, as you said, Semyon's starting to turn it on. Got to see Matt Olson kind of pick it up and, and, and get some more hits and get that average up. I know he's hitting for some power, but I love Oakland a lot. Could, I could very easily see them in the World Series with, uh, with that rotation and their bullpen. Liam Hendricks is maybe the best closer in baseball right now. So love Oakland a lot.
5: Best closer in the SNBL. No lips, ands, or buts about it. But maybe there's something, too. You know, these Oakland and the Tampa Bay successful seasons, they're used to playing in front of no one anyways. It hasn't really been culture shock to them. Yes. Anyways, number one for me, I would be surprised if it's not unanimous. I've got the Dodgers here. 117-win pace. Have done nothing to dispel the notion that they're not the World Series favorites. The Dodgers are good, people. Open your eyes. I'm with you with
0: the Dodgers. And my goodness, they're the best team of this decade to not win a title. I mean, they just keep getting there, but coming up short to either Houston or Boston, is this the year? I think it is the year they finally knock that door down and win a title. Dodgers, Bueller's healthy. He needs to start being better. But other than that,
1: Dustin May has, has been good. Urias has been good. Justin Turner just landed on the IL. Really, the only intrigue I have left with with the Dodgers is how their prospect, Gavin Lux, looks while Turner's on the IL. Other than that, there are no question marks with LA. They're my number one.
0: Give me a name is there anybody we didn't name that you think could be sneaky decent? Could the Phillies slip up into that category at all? The Phillies
1: bullpen was like watching you wanted to dip your eyeballs in acid watching those guys <laughs> try and pitch. But they they go sign Heath Hembry, they bring in Brandon Workman from Boston. I think Hector Naris needs he has potential to be a, a good closer. Other than other than Nola though, they don't have a ton in that rotation so I I is think it, they're on the outside looking in honestly is an Arietta in that rotation? yeah he, Arietta I think allowed seven runs yesterday he was huh. the one that started when Atlanta put a
0: 10 spot on the uh on the board on Sunday night because they're going to win tonight going to go above 500 so are the Tigers they're going to go above 500 how about the Tigers being at 17 and 16 after tonight isn't that crazy Oh, Shout out to uh, Starling Marte too,
1: since we're shouting out major league baseball players. First game is a uh, Miami Marlin hits the go ahead home run in the
0: eighth inning. So there's another team that's right above five hundred. And and I like the Marte pickup by them. Yeah. Final few minutes of sports finally here on a Tuesday night, five three one, five hundred, forty six eighty six. What in the world do you think we can expect tomorrow, Ben? What 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 comes our way hmm. to tomorrow? I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah, I really don't I mean
1: once the president get involved, I don't know that we can get much <laughs> higher. You know what I mean? Like in terms of uh, prominent people to to get involved. So, I mean, is there a worldwide
0: leader? I mean, maybe Oprah dips her uh, toe in the Big Ten water. I don't know. It just seems like it's been something different every day. And you're like, huh? What? Okay. And then it gets quickly tamped down as no no big deal. Nothing to see here. Yeah. At some point, there's got to be something to see, right? Yeah, at, know, some right? Point, to at, at some point, they got to return to playing. At some point, they got to go, yep, we're doing this, and we're going to do it then. But I, I don't know that we're that close to that at, at this point in time. All right, coming up tomorrow night, we'll have another edition of the Husker Huddle with Jeremiah Searles. Lane Grendel, our Major League Baseball insider, will join us. His Brewers just can't get it going. I, You, you know, Yelich has not had a very good year to this point in time. Uh, they didn't they didn't really do anything at the trade deadline. Um, kind of wonder where they're headed, Ben as organization. I you know, it's hard to pin Lane down too much on that. He's gonna be careful what he says about his yeah. own organization, but they seem to just kind of be treading water.
1: Yeah, they, they, they tried some free agents and it just hasn't worked. I mean Justin Smoke's been bad. Obviously, El Garcia got off to a decent start, but he's been bad. Don't really have much in the starting pitching rotation other than Brandon Woodruff. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Christian Yelich has been utterly brutal this year. I think he's still under
0: 200 with his batting average. So, What is that? That's weird. Yeah. Been tough. Been tough for sure. You, you, you kind of get the feeling they – and maybe there's some teams like that around the league that are going through the motions a little bit. Kind of, you know, this isn't really a real year – but it is. I mean, somebody's going to hang a banner. Somebody's going to yep. win this thing, and it's. And I don't. There may be a bit of an asterisk because they didn't play the full season, but somebody's going to win something here in a couple months. I don't think it's going to be the Brewers. It's not going to be the Brewers. They did not make our top ten list here tonight. Thanks to Ben, to Austin, to Brent, to all of you for being a part of this one. Looking forward to tomorrow night's show. See what tomorrow brings. We don't know. You just never know, right?